very quickly, I'm going to tell you the story of a young lady named Anne. And this is going back a few years. Now, Anne lived in California. And Anne was having a difficult time in her life. Now, it was one of those situations where Anne couldn't say for sure when this had started. When things became difficult, probably somewhere around the time that she lost her father to cancer. But things just kind of went from worse to worse. She was a writer. And she had several writing projects that kept her going, and she was a very good writer. Uh, but she was having, in those early days, difficult time getting those books sold. Unfortunately, Anne succumbed to alcoholism. And so that became the focus of her life. And she sustained an injury, and so she started taking prescription pain medication. And as you may or may not know, the combination of alcohol and pain medication is not always a good combination. Increasingly, Anne found life difficult, and the little joys in life began to just disappear. You know, on weekends, she'd go to what were called flea markets. Over here, we call them car boot sales. And that was one of her joys in life, going to do that. And she'd set aside time uh, uh, writing every day. She lived on a houseboat. And there were so many things in her life which should have been joy-filled, which should have been kind of fun and life-giving. But because of the pronounced grief in her life that was woven like a thread throughout everything that she did, her life increasingly became touched in every way by that grief. And the grief became the kind of defining factor of who she was. Anne was very quickly becoming ill, physically, mentally, spiritually. One evening, it was really bad, and I'll just put it in her own words. I got in bed, shaky and sad, and too wild to have another drink or take a sleeping pill. I had a cigarette and turned off the light, and after a while, as, as I lay there, I became aware of someone with me, hunkered down in the corner, and I just assumed it was my father, whose presence I'd felt over the years when I was frightened and alone. The feeling was so strong that I actually turned on the light for a moment to make sure no one was there. Of course, there wasn't. But after a while in the dark again, I knew beyond any doubt that it was Jesus. I felt him as surely as I feel my dog lying nearby as I write this, and I, I was appalled. <laughs> I thought about my life and my brilliant, hilarious, progressive friends, I thought about what everyone would think of me if I became a Christian, and it seemed an utterly impossible thing that simply could not be allowed to happen. I turned to the wall and said out loud, I would rather die. I felt him just sitting there on his haunches in the corner of my sleeping loft, watching me with patience and love, and I squinched my eyes shut, but that didn't help because that's not what I was seeing him with. Finally, I fell asleep, and in the morning he was gone. This experience spooked me badly, but I thought it was just an apparition, born of fear and self-loathing, and 
But then everywhere I went, I had the feeling that a little cat was following me, wanting me to reach down and pick it up, wanting me to open the door and let it in, but I knew what would happen. You let a cat in one time, give it a little milk, and then it stays forever. So I tried to keep one step ahead of it, slamming my houseboat door when I entered or left. And one week later, when I went back to church for the second time, I was so hungover that I couldn't stand up for the songs, and this time I stayed for the sermon, which I just thought was absolutely ridiculous. Like someone trying to convince me of the existence of extraterrestrials. But the last song was so deep and raw and pure that I could not escape. It was as if the people were singing in between the notes, weeping and joyful at the same time, and I felt like their voices or something was rocking me in its bosom, holding me like a scared kid, and I opened up to that feeling, and it washed over me. I began to cry and left before the benediction, and I raced home and felt the little cat running along at my heels, and I walked down the dock past dozens of potted flowers under a sky as blue as one of God's own dreams, and I opened the door to my houseboat, and I stood there a minute, And then I hung my head and said, I quit. I took a long, deep breath and said out loud, All right, you can come in. So this was my beautiful moment of conversion. You can read more about Anne Lamott's story and about her journey into faith. She sold millions of copies of that book, Traveling Mercies. And she admits herself that she's not a theologian. She has a simplistic view of faith. But she understands clearly who it was that showed up on that evening, who it was that kept persistently knocking at the door, who it was that wouldn't give up on her, and that his name is Jesus Christ as real in the room for her as anything else. And I think what's remarkable about that story is that it is so different from many others, and of course they should be all different, these experiences of God. That in this story there's no thunder or lightning, there's no momentous occasion where the sky rips open and Jesus Christ descends out of the heavens and That kind of stuff does happen. But in her life, it was about that dogged persistence. It was about the gentle, unrelenting persistence, the quiet persistence, the gently refusing to say, No, the gentle refusal to back away. Jesus demonstrates an unwillingness to let go of us, and it doesn't have to be hostile. Oftentimes, it's the most gentle of gentle things you might ever experience. But it is a dogged pursuit of your love. 
It's a power. It's a presence that lingers. Now, Anne has a pretty dramatic life story, and not all of us have trials like hers that are maybe so overt. But I do believe each one of us has trials. I do believe in some way each of us wrestles with some kind of addiction. Maybe it's living for someone's, someone else's expectations. Maybe it's being so selfless that we give up on ourselves. Maybe it's in pursuit of a better life, a new car, a new house. And some of us are quite good at hiding from these things and hiding from the reality of, of our own lives. And I have sometimes found in the hardest moments of life when I desire separation from God that He does not protest, but He does not give in either. He will come crawling if you make Him, begging, inviting, until he hears those beautiful words, I quit. I quit is never the end for God. It is always the beginning. I quit may be the desperate act of all of us who've been chewed up and spit out by the world, but it is the heroic step towards real freedom, I am convinced. I quit is the very declaration of independence in the war of me, 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 the war that would turn the world into a possession and people into a commodity. I quit is the root word of bravery because it's honest and it's real. We love telling stories about how we win, how we got it right. I do. <coughs> we love hearing stories about how we've overcome the odds, how we've prevailed against adversity. And especially love those stories where we win and others lose. I do. And we hate the words, I quit. I think because they are the most honest place where we could ever find ourselves. I quit. I quit this game of self-fulfillment, self-centering, self-actualizing. I quit this game of living only for others, only into others' expectations, only for the happiness or fulfillment of others, while I quietly disappear into the ether. I quit this game of grief, this game of loss, this game of devastation where I am supposed to find all the answers in myself. But I quit. I quit are some of the most beautiful words in the world because these are the words of last resort. These are the words that wash us up on the beach of new possibilities and new horizons that get us beyond ourselves and the boundaries of our own weak imaginations. I quit is but one step away from Jesus Christ. The quitters in this world are those that are finally able to say living for me is not enough. Living from paycheck to paycheck is not enough. Sitting on a board, running a charity, holidays in Mauritius, and then what? I quit. The quitters in this world are also those that are finally able to say, I don't care if I'm on benefits. I don't care that I'm on universal credit. I give up feeling sorry for myself and my outlook. I give up pretending that the world hates me. I quit. 
I quit isn't shameful, it's shameless. I quit isn't despicable, it's divine. I quit isn't ignoble, it's admirable. And the sooner we reach the shores of I quit, the sooner we can find our real purpose in the life that God has given us. Because it's in that breath that it takes to say, I quit. That we may find stumbling, slipping, quivering. We find the truth about life. God is. He is, he lives, he reigns, he loves. Jesus takes the I quit. He takes the I quit all the way to the cross. And he hammers away. He hammers away at the shame, at the self-loathing, the self-critiquing, the self-centering, and the self-glorifying. He hammers and he hammers and he hammers away at the most destructive of lies that there is no hope, no life, no truth, no goodness. And sometimes we need to quit in order to be free of the tyranny of a life lived for the wrong reasons. What does a life enslaved look like? This life of tyranny, oftentimes it boils down very simply to anger or depression. These are the things that we see. The signs. Anger, put simply, is rage directed outward. Depression is rage directed inward. And they're both as destructive as you want them to be. And they're both the natural outcome of trying to search out life's meaningness, meaning in ourselves. And so you see Anne's story is more the rule and less the exception, maybe a bit more dramatic. I quit. Is simply the acknowledgement that we tried everything else and nothing works. That there are no more answers where me is the solution. That when we try that, we simply come to the end of ourselves and then comes the rage or depression or both. I quit is a step out of the lie. It is an opportunity to say, yes, God, I'll give you a chance. I will give you a chance to help me live a life of purpose, a life of consequence. When you say the words, I quit, you open yourself to hear the very words of Jesus Christ. And I encourage you, try it. Try it sometime. In the quiet of your own home, when no one else is around, say those words, I quit. And then listen. And you'll hear a voice that will come back. Not yours, but God's. And it may be quiet, ever so quiet. It may sound different than anything you've heard before. His is a voice that actually never stops and can't be silenced. And sometimes, yes, you have to search. You have to get down on your knees and come to the end of yourself and say, God, speak for once I have nothing to say. I quit. Your words, my words, I quit. are always inevitably, inexorably met with the instantaneous answer by Jesus himself. When we say the words, I quit, he says, I won't. I won't quit, he says. For me, for you, I won't quit, he says. I won't ever quit. We were made for this, you and I, he says. We were made for this journey. We were made to do this together because in the great I won't quit, the great King, the great Lord Jesus Christ, we meet our purpose. We meet our friend. We meet our story as it was meant to be told. A life of consequence. 
And if when you come to the end of yourself and the debt and the disaster and the dramas and you find yourself on your knees, tears streaming, then you'll know you will find, I believe, the greatest voice of all speaking the greatest truth of all into your life from this cross. I won't ever quit. On your account, I won't ever stop. I won't ever end and I won't ever say no. This is the God who knows you. This is the God who speaks to you right now. And so I joined my voice to Anne's. I began to cry and left before the benediction and I raced home and felt the little cat running along at my heels. And I walked down the dock past dozens of potted flowers under the sky as blue as one of God's own dreams. And I opened the door to my houseboat and I stood there a minute and I hung my head and I said, I quit. And I took a long deep breath and said out loud, all right, you can come in.